At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. You're listening to the Gospel Community Church Sermons Podcast, where we go through books of the Bible, verse by verse and line by line, to hear the truth that God's Word has to encourage, discipline, and bless us in our daily lives. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share the contents of this podcast, but please do not alter it in any way without permission. Please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook or iTunes. Visit gospelcc.com for more content like this. At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. Thanks again and have a blessed day. When I was nine years old, my parents gave my brother and I an option. They said, we're going on family vacation and we will take you to Disneyland or the Grand Canyon. Now, which one do you think we chose? The Grand Canyon, right? Because we are nerds and we like geography and history and we care nothing about that silly mouse. Now, I love you. Um, So we chose the Grand Canyon and we went to go see this amazing uh, formation that God in his wisdom and majesty put together. I mean, it's, if you haven't been, you've got to go. It's, it's an amazing thing. While we were there, we also uh, went and saw other sites while we were in Arizona. And as a nine-year-old boy, um, one particular event was very exciting for me. My parents said, we, uh, we're going to go to a real live western town. Like we were in Arizona, I was nine years old, a re- are you kidding me? Like real live Western town, this is going to be amazing, you know. I'm, I'm anticipating, you know, the, the saloon and the general store and, you know, maybe when we get there, there might even be a shootout. I mean, it, you know, at least a fist fight in the street. I mean, this, this is a real Western town. I mean, maybe John Wayne will be there or Clint Eastwood. I mean, after all, it's a real Western town, you know. Um, so they, they take my brother and I to this um, real-life western town. It was called Rawhide. Um, and, and so we pull in the parking lot, you know, because real western towns have parking lots. We pull in the, in the parking lot, and as we, as we approach, I see it. I mean, and, and it's, it's, it looks like a real western town. I mean, it had, like, dirt streets. I mean, you, you could, there was, like, horses, and there was a chuck wagon there in the middle of the road, and there was cowboys milling around. And, I mean, as a nine-year-old, it was, it was so exciting. And as we entered, as we approached it, it, it looked fantastic. As we got into the town, I went to the first building, and I peered into the window. And much to my surprise, there was nothing behind the facade of the building. It was an empty lot. And I went to the next storefront, the next building front, and I peered in that window, and there was nothing there. It was just an empty lot. As a matter of fact, over half of the buildings or storefront in this real western town, that's all that it was. It was just a facade. And, and I learned that the cowboys that were roaming around were actually paid actors. Um, as we entered into one of the only actual stores that was there was the general store, uh, I walked in, and, and all they had was souvenirs. 
There, there wasn't even any, any like real supplies to last in, you know, the great out west. You know, there, there, there was no picks or bags of flour or nothing. It was souvenirs. It was a glorified movie set. That, that's all this place was. So with all of the promise of visiting this real western town upon closer inspection, it was a fake. It was fake. As a nine-year-old boy, I was crushed, shocked, dismayed. Friends, I tell you this story because this is the spiritual reality in which we live here in the South in particular. We are religious people who don't know Jesus. In the suburban South, we find ourselves in a place where everyone is fine. Everyone's fine. You're fine. I'm fine. Everybody's fine. It's, it's okay. I've, I've made my peace with God. God and I have an arrangement. We're, we're fine. Everything's, everything's fine. You see, many people say, well, you know, I go to church. I've, I've read the Bible. I'm, I'm okay. Right? They, they have all of the religious trappings. Of course I pray sometimes. Of course I've read the Bible. I know what the Bible says. I've, I've been to church. I was sharing my faith just a little while ago with, with a guy, and, and, and we were sitting there, and, and I'm explaining to him, you know, yeah, we love Jesus, dedicated to Jesus. You know, what, what do you think about Jesus? Do you go to church? He says, yeah, I go to my parents' church sometimes when I don't have anything else going on. That, that, that statement uh, shocked, I mean, it, it hit me in the face. It, it shouldn't have shocked me, but, but it kind of did. He said, I go to my parents' church, but not his. He's not owning his faith and saying, I, I'm dedicated to this place where I go to worship Jesus. Um, I, I go to my parents' church sometimes when, when I don't have anything else to do. But, but if you ask him, are you a Christian? His answer was yes. A resounding yes. So it is the religious facade. It's a religious facade. Of course, sure, I go to church. I pray sometimes. Hey, I even have a King James Bible with my name lettered on it. Huh? Right? So, so it is the religious facade. But, but when you peer into the window, all that's there is an empty lot. You see, the greatest challenge that pastors face in the South is not getting people saved, but it's convincing people they're not Christians to begin with. This is, this is the great challenge I face. And, and if you're going to do any real missions here in the South, if you're really going to reach people for Christ here in the South, that is going to be your great challenge. It, it's, it's not telling them about Jesus. They already know about Jesus. But it's convincing them and seeing, letting them know that much of what we have constructed and much of what we have built is simply a religious facade. And when you actually peer into the window, there's nothing there. Friends, this text today is a warning. This is a warning text today. Jesus curses this fig tree. Why? Because there was no fruit there was no fruit, and he curses it. This is a warning text today. This, this should scare us a little bit. The goal for us this morning is this. Jot this down. Inspect the tree of your hearts and see if there is any real fruit. Inspect the tree of your heart. The tree of your heart. This, this tree, this spiritual tree that has grown up, 
Is it just covered with beautiful green leaves? Or is it actually bearing and producing fruit, spiritual fruit? We must, we must, we must stop, pause this morning, and inspect the tree of our hearts. Why? Because of this. Listen, Jesus does not play church, nor does he have room in his kingdom for pretend Christians. Let me say that again, Gospel Community Church. Jesus does not play church. Jesus is not into us showing up here, pretending that we're fine, just, just building a religious facade without actually coming here to really engage in the Lord, without coming to really learn his word and bury it deep within our hearts. Jesus doesn't have any room in his kingdom for pretend Christians, for people who are not truly, seriously, and completely devoted to him. Jesus has no room in his kingdom for those who are Christian in name only, yet their lives do not bear out a life of following him this is a warning text take heed this morning to this word because Jesus does not play church and he has no room in his kingdom for pretend Christians in our text today I invite you to get this word in front of you it is Mark chapter 11 we're going to be beginning in verse 12 we find uh, yet again another one of those famous Mark sandwiches. Uh, if you've been traveling along with us in this book, you understand what I mean when I say Mark sandwich. But if you have not, let me catch you up to speed. What we have here in the beginning of verse 12 is this incident with the tree. Jesus curses this tree. And then all of a sudden we're jumped to this scene where Jesus is driving people out of the temple and then we're back to the tree. So you can see this idea of the, the cursing of the fig tree as the top piece of bread. Um, the, what goes on in the temple is the roast beef because we're making a roast beef sandwich here. The bottom part of the bread is essentially the cursing of the fig tree explained. Okay, maybe I should have used a Fig Newton instead of roast beef because this is a Fig Newton sandwich here. So that's what we find, and essentially the two pieces of bread, or the beginning and the end, explain, that it explains uh, what happens in the temple. So you've got to understand what happens with the tree uh, so you can understand what happens in the temple. Okay, you guys with me? Let's jump into God's Word today. We're going to be, again, beginning in verse 12. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing the distance of fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. Back in verse 12, on the following day, this is the day after what? The day after his triumphal entry when he rode into the city of Jerusalem, which we looked at yesterday. They were coming from Bethany. If you remember, Bethany is where uh, his friends Mary, Martha, and Lazarus live. Yes, the same Lazarus that he had brought back from the dead. This, that is the town that he is coming from, he is making this almost two-mile journey back into the city of Jerusalem. Again, this is Passover. This is the uh, 
biggest Jewish holiday uh, all year. This is a massive, massive ceremony to where Jews from all over the globe literally uh, come and descend on Jerusalem to engage in this religious festival to celebrate Passover. And so there were thousands and thousands and thousands of people clamoring in the streets of Jerusalem. And so a lot of what people would do is during the day they would be in the city, they would observe the, the Jewish festival, and they would leave the city and go to the surrounding towns to sleep and to find lodging. They would wake up in the morning and then come back into the city uh, for the days of Passover, and this is what Jesus and his disciples are doing. So on this two-mile journey, almost two-mile journey from Bethany back to Jerusalem, uh, Jesus is feeling a little bit hungry and decides... He wants some fig newtons. Now, as he approaches this tree, it is covered with leaves. It's got leaves, lots of leaves. From the distance, it, it looks very promising. Now, the phrase that Mark uses here, he was hungry, right? Look at verse 13. And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. Here's the very curious statement. For it was not the season for figs. Okay, this is very curious. It was not the season for figs. Now, we can chalk this up to uh, Jesus was a carpenter, not a farmer. Okay, of course, he didn't. Oh, I'm out of wrong season. Sorry, my bad. Right, we, we could chalk it up to Jesus forgot what fig season was. Uh, but the readers here uh, would have understood it differently. You see, Mark's readers understood the fig season. Has anyone harvested any figs lately? Okay. Full disclosure, I knew nothing of the fig harvest until I studied for this particular sermon. Now, what we need is a little architecture, or, uh, I'm sorry, agricultural instruction uh, to help us understand this text. The fig harvest in Palestine was from mid-August to mid-October. Just so you know, fun fact to impress your friends. And the trees <clears throat> would produce buds during November and December, and they would turn into green pods during the month of March and April. So they would be harvested. Then what would happen is after the harvest is the tree would turn leafy, and it would produce little green buds, or what they would call early figs. These little green pods were edible. Okay, so, so Mark's audience would have heard Mark say it was not the season for figs, but in their minds they would have said yes, but it was the season for early figs or green figs. Uh, as a matter of fact, this little green fig would have been on tables all across Jerusalem. This little green thing, it wasn't ripe yet, but they still Aided. Again, just like fried green tomatoes are on tables all across the south. This was a Jerusalem staple. This little green unripened fig was a Jerusalem staple, a Palestinian staple. They, they would have eaten it. And so Jesus is going to this tree, though it's not fig season, it was the season for early figs. And there should have been early figs or green figs on this tree. With me? Very good. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. Jesus makes this pronouncement. Jesus makes this curse on this fig tree. 
Now, at this time, all of the tree huggers are very sad. But the tree does not have feelings. The tree does not have a soul, okay? Uh, plus, this is Jesus' fig tree. He gets to do with it whatever he wants. Jesus owns all the fig trees all over the planet. So if he decides to curse this particular one and have it never produce fruit again, that is his prerogative. He's Jesus. Now, the question is, why does Jesus do this? Goes up, oh, no figs. Well, I'll show you. <laughs> Apparently you don't know who you're messing with. Why curse the fig tree? Was it the fig tree's fault? I mean, what's... Now, um, around my house, I, I, I live with several ladies, okay? All ladies. The only dudes in the house are me and two dogs. Uh, and, and there's this thing that happens in my house. It's called hangry. I don't know if you guys get that way or you're familiar with people who do, but it is this phenomenon that happens when you are hungry, you also become angry, known as hangry. Is Jesus in a state of hangriness, and so there was no figs, and he decides to curse the fig tree? Well, we have to ask ourselves, has Jesus shown himself to be emotionally unstable? Well, no. Jesus has not shown himself to be emotionally unstable, and so this is not a case of the hangries. There is something else going on here. Why does Jesus curse the fig tree? Well, it lands on who is in earshot. Look at the end of verse 14. May no one ever eat fruit from you again. Listen, and his disciples heard it. So the answer to why Jesus curses this fig tree lies in who heard him cursing the fig tree. Jesus is showing the disciples a picture of what he is about to do and why he is going to do it. Why does Jesus curse the fig tree? Well, because he wants his disciples to see what he is about to do and why he is going to do it. What is he about to do? He is about to go into the temple and drive everyone out. He's going to drive out those who buy and sell. They're gone. He is going to stop people from carrying things through the temple, from supplying the market. He is going to end business day right then, right there. That's what he's about to do. Why? Because it's all a religious facade. That's why. It's got all of the green, leafy promise of true devotion to God, true religion, but it has none of the fruit. And so Jesus is going to shut it down. Here's what I want to ask you this morning, friends. Do you believe in a Jesus who casts judgment? Jesus here is walking into this temple and he is making a clear judgment. No fruit here. This is fake. This is hypocrisy. I am calling this what it is. I am making a clear and, and stark judgment on the temple and on these people. Jesus judges. He casts judgment. Do you believe in a Jesus who casts judgment? You see, it's so much easier to believe in a Jesus who does not cast judgment. It's so much easier to believe in a Jesus who is okay with everything that you do. Jesus is okay with your views on sexuality. Jesus is okay with your views on your marriage. Jesus is okay with your views on alcohol. Jesus is okay with you and what you do. He's fine. He's fine. As a matter of fact, you and Jesus have this agreement, so it's okay. Friends, this is the true Jesus who walks into the temple and casts judgment on these people. This is fake. This is phony. This is hypocrisy. Get out of my father's house. This is what Jesus says. 
Do you believe in a Jesus who casts judgment, listen, based on his criteria, not yours? This is what Jesus does. He is showing them a word picture. Jesus, in a sense, is acting out a parable. Jesus could have said something like this. There once was a traveler on the road, and he saw a fig tree that promised fruit. When he arrived, there was no fruit to be found. So God cursed that tree because with all of the promise of the green leaves, there was no true fruit. But instead of telling them a parable like that, Jesus acts out the parable for them to see. Gospel Community Church, listen, may we never be like this fig tree. All of the religious trappings, yet no real fruit. Friends, you can have fog machines and lasers and TV screens, yet there be no fruit. Friends, you can have a choir and choir robes and, and King James Bibles and Baptist hymnals and all of the religious trappings, yet no fruit. And here's what Jesus does. It doesn't matter if you've got a big church, 500 people, five people, fog machines and laser beams and screens or choir robes and a piano and organ. It doesn't matter. Jesus approaches and he inspects the tree for fruit. That's what Jesus cares about. The question upon closer inspection, is there fruit behind all of the religious trappings, behind all of the facade, is there real fruit? fruit. That's what Jesus is concerned with. Friends, take note, jot this down. The appearance of following Jesus without actually bearing fruit is dangerous because we may begin to fool ourselves. This is why this is so dangerous. This is why this is so dangerous. Because we can come here and we can see, hey, we're, you know, we're a young, cool, hip church. I mean, God's doing something here, right? Somebody might go to another church and say, hey, they, they keep it traditional. You know, piano, organ, they got the choir robes. God must be at work here. This is the danger of following Jesus or, or attempting or putting on a show is that you may begin to actually fool yourself. Yeah, I'm good with God. I mean, I, I go to church when, you know, when I've got time. You know, if I'm in a real pinch, I might shoot a prayer to the man upstairs. Me and God, we've got this understanding. I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I'm fine. That is so dangerous because Jesus will inspect the tree for fruit. Who cares about the leaves? Who cares about all of the religious facade, all of the show? Friends, let us be so careful, let us be so careful that we don't just dress up, you know, put on something nice, put on a shirt with buttons for one day a week, some of you, and come in here and, and smile and everything's nice and, and you do this because it's what good folk do. You know, good folk go to church and, and you know, I, I got to go because, you know, if I don't, my mom's going to ask me, you know, if, if we took the family to church, if I say no, I'm going to get a guilt trip, so I might as well just go ahead and go and after all, I'm good with God facade that's that's green leaves with no real fruit and it is so dangerous it is so dangerous because the appearance of following Jesus without actually bearing fruit may in the end end up fooling you so Jesus acts out this parable with the fig tree and he is about to 
go into the temple and it's no longer going to be a parable or a story. He is going to fully and completely act this thing out. He, he is going to drive these people out of the temple. And here is the main problem. Listen, there was no sense of awe as they were meeting with God. The reason that Jesus drives these people out of the temple because there was no sense of awe as they met with God. It was no longer about that. It was about money. It was about the show. It was about appearing to be a good Jew. That's what it became to be about. You see, the people in the temple, they probably strolled in late. <coughs> they probably stayed in the lobby for half the service. They probably left in the middle of the service to refill their coffee. They probably checked Facebook during the last song. Gospel Community Church, I want us to desire God. I want us to desire to be in the presence of God. I want us to enter in on Sunday morning with this anticipation to be awed by the Creator. Not taking it flippantly. Oh, sure, we can, you know, just roll in whenever. I mean, the band's playing, but hey, let's stay out in the lobby and hang out. I want us to be in awe of God and who he is and what he's doing and what he has to say in his word and what he wants to speak to you this morning. Don't you know the creator of the universe wants to commune with you today? This, this should put us in this place of awe and, and respect and solemnness. Yes, joy, but also, but also a seriousness to it. Again, because Jesus does not play church. He don't play church. Jesus is dead serious about what we're doing here this morning. Let's see what Jesus does in the temple. I got my voice back this week, y'all, so. <laughs> if you weren't here last week, I didn't have no voice, but, but I got it back now. Uh, verse 15. And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. As Jesus and his disciples would have entered into the temple during this massive Passover celebration, they would have first entered into the court of the Gentiles. Now, if you don't know what a Gentile is, a Gentile is anyone who is not a Jew. So the very entrance to the temple as you walked in, it would have been this massive 35-acre space. It's huge. The, the court of the Gentiles was 35 acres. It had a large portico or overhang, and it was supported by 35-foot-high columns. I mean, just an amazing edifice. This structure was incredible. Beyond the court of the Gentiles, there was another separate court called the court of the women, and only uh, Jewish women could go in. And the beyond that was called the court of the men, where only um, circumcised Israelite men could enter. And then beyond that was the holy of holies, where only the high priest could enter once a year. This structure was gorgeous, beautiful, ornate. I mean, just incredible. 
While the edifice would have been amazing and ornate, it was overshadowed by all of the activity. Remember that thousands and thousands of people have gathered to celebrate the Passover, and how they are going to celebrate the Passover is by sacrificing an animal for their sins. This is what they've come to do. But remember that thousands of people have traveled to Jerusalem for this ceremony. So they have to travel with their family. They have to travel with provisions. They have to travel with all, with all this kind of stuff. And if they're going for sacrifice, they also have to travel with Gary the goat. This would have been very inconvenient to travel with your family and all your provisions and have to take this animal with you all the way from wherever you're traveling from for sacrifice. Remember, this has to be a spotless and pure animal. I mean, what if he breaks his leg along the way? Right? What if he loses an ear? You know, what if he gets caught in some bushes and gets all scratched up? I mean, this is, this is a real problem. And then you get to the temple and you know, the priest says, no, this, we, we can't do this. This is not, you know, he rejects it and you've traveled with this thing all the way. Solution? They sold animals right there in the temple, right? The priests pre-approved. Go ahead and get your pre-approved Larry the Lamb right here. Got it for you. (laughs) Now, don't forget, with any type of convenient service, there's an upcharge, right? Okay, I didn't do the math on this, but actual cost of fountain Coke and popcorn, under a buck, right? You want to have that at the movies? $47. (laughs) Any type of convenient service, there is an upcharge. And so these lambs were being sold at an upcharge. Now, also don't forget that the temple is not going to accept this money with some type of pagan emperor on it. Oh, absolutely not. We do not accept pagan money here in this temple. So what we have to do is we've got to take your pagan coins and give you temple accepted coins. And don't forget, there's an exchange rate and an upcharge on that too. So you see, the system was corrupt. To the outside world, I mean, how religious does this look, though? Wow, these people have traveled all of this way? These people are paying all of this money? I mean, look at this. Look at all these people. Listen, I mean, can you just imagine being inside that 35-acre uh, court where all of the, you know, I got two pigeons, two pigeons over here. I need a goat. Give me two goats, too. I mean, they're pushing back and forth. Get your coins here. Get your coins. Get them while they're hot. I mean, this would have been a, an absolute circus. This is what Jesus walks into when he enters into the temple These people essentially turn the temple into a stock market and a currency exchange. So Jesus drives out those who bought and sold. Again, get in your mind. I guess always I thought, um, you know, five or six people roaming around, you know, Jesus, you know, like thousands Thousands of people are gathered in this temple. And Jesus, one dude, drives them out. Think of the force. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen anyone flip over a table, but it's a very violent act. Think about the force and the fury and what Jesus would have had to have done. He's not, um, I don't know uh, if you know this, guys, but God's kind of not happy with what you're doing. So if you could excuse yourselves from the temple, I think that'd be good. He's not asking politely. He is 
driving, driving, uh, get in your mind, cowboys and cattle. This is, he is driving them, moving, pushing them to get out of the temple. Why? Because for all of their religious activity, there was no love for God. That's why he does this. Jesus had inspected the leafy green tree, and there was no figs. You see, it had all the appearance of religious devotion to the one true God, but upon closer inspection, it was a facade. This was all style and no substance. It was a show, not devotion. It was real fancy, but not real fruity. He overturned the tables and of the money changers. And it even says this, that he would not allow anyone to carry anything. You see, they're carrying in more animals and more supplies for sale in the temple. And Jesus says, no, business is closed for the day. Now, before you try to overturn our book table in the back, <laughs> one, it is secured to the ground, so good luck. Uh, two, we don't make any money on book sales, just so you know. For these people who bought and sold, it was all about making money. That's what it was about. And for the people who were buying, it was all about doing what you needed to do to appear as a good Jew. Friends, I want to ask you this morning. Upon closer inspection, do you look more like Jesus? You see, standing back, listen, you, you can come here every Sunday, you could be a member here, you can, and you might, you might fool us. You, you might fool us. You, you might say all the right things, I'll pray for you, brother. You might do all the right things, yeah, I go to community group, I even serve in a ministry. But upon closer inspection, is there real spiritual fruit? This is the question that we must ask ourselves. Not just attending church, not just serving in a ministry, but bearing fruit. The truth is you can fool everyone, but you cannot fool Jesus. John 15 verse 5 says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Listen, if you are loving Jesus, following Jesus, and serving Jesus, you will bear fruit, period. You see, this word is speaking directly into the heart of churches in the South. Friends, I, I want to tell you, I often decry the South, but, but let me tell you, I am a proud son of the South. I've been all over this great United States. I've been to other countries, and I would not live anywhere else for a million dollars. I love the South, and I'm, and I'm here, and I'm staying here. But for all of our politeness, um, all of our sweet tea drinking, family and firearms loving tendencies here in the South, there are some glaring, glaring issues and this is one of them. So you went down front and prayed with the pastor. So you were baptized when you were in middle school. It's great that you have your own Bible with your name engraved on it. It's great that your granny was the founding member of the First Baptist Church of such and such. But do you belong to Jesus? Is your life 
his. So, so what about all of the religious facade, all the religious trapping? Are you devoting your life to Jesus? Is, is he your great treasure? Is Jesus your treasure? Because when Jesus is our treasure, then we produce fruit. But if Jesus is not our treasure and we just keep up the religious facade, we will not bear fruit. And Jesus inspects the tree. He views this tree that has all the religious trappings, that has all of the facade. And if there is no fruit, listen, this is the warning. Jesus curses that tree. The problem in the South is that so much of our assurance comes from the fact that we are religious. Friends, jot this down. If your assurance that you are right with God comes from anything else other than spiritual fruit stemming from the soil of the gospel, you are severely mistaken. If your assurance, I'm right with God, me and him are okay, we've got this understanding, right? If, if your assurance comes from anything else other than spiritual fruit that has grown out of the soil of the gospel, meaning belief that Jesus Christ has died in your place for your sins, the truth that his grace has covered you, that your sins are forgiven because of Jesus' atoning work on the cross. That's the gospel. If your assurance comes from anywhere else other than fruit stemming from that gospel soil, you are sorely mistaken. And Jesus inspects that fruit and sees and he, verse 17, and he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers? And the chief priests and the scribes heard it, and they were seeking a way to destroy him. For they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. Jesus drives these people out and he is explaining to them why he's doing what he's doing and his explanation is you have made this into a den of robbers what is it supposed to be a house of prayer for who the the na the nations the nations our hypocrisy affects what other people think about god when your life puts on display that family is more important than God, it devalues God. When your life puts on display that money and your job is more important than God, it says to the world around you, God is not as important as money. Their hypocrisy was putting something on display. Listen, this, this court was filled with people, you know, screaming, yelling, hey, I've got this goat, come buy this, you know, come get your lambs over here. It was a total stock exchange, a money exchange, just a total circus, and it was supposed to be a place where the nations were going to come and pray. It was the only place where the world, the world could come and see the one true God. It was the only place, and do you think they could get in there? 
No, they couldn't get in. There was no room for There's no room for the nations to come in and, and encounter the one true God. There was no room for them. And if they could get in edgewise and, and bump their way in, do, do you think with all the buying and selling, do you think that that said to the nations, God is more precious than silver and gold? No, that's not what that said. And, and if they did try to bow and pray and connect with the one true God, it was too much of a circus for any of that to happen. You see, they, they had pushed out um, these people that God knew and found important. Their actions showed that they do not care about other ethnicities. They were Jewish people in the Jewish temple doing their Jewish thing, and, and we don't care about the Gentiles being able to come in. Their actions said, I don't care. So Jesus, Jesus cleared and made a space for them. Listen, if you have been watching the world of politics, how many people right now are up in arms about what the president did or did not say about particular religious, or I'm sorry, particular racist groups, right? The, the world right now is up in arms about what somebody did or did not say about particular racist groups. And again, from the stage, I make no political affiliations whatsoever, but I do say in great confidence, Write this down, Jesus, racism makes Jesus angry. Racism makes Jesus angry. As he enters into the temple and there is no place, again, for the nations to come and pray. And their hypocrisy was showing the nations, was showing these other ethnicities that we don't care about you. And Jesus drives them out of the temple. Why? Because racism makes Jesus angry, that's why. You see, diversity is not the Democrats' idea. Diversity is not the idea of those who are on the left, on the right, or in the middle. You see, diversity is Jesus' idea. Jesus made light-skinned people, dark-skinned people, brown-skinned people, beige-skinned people because Jesus wants a kaleidoscope of color of people worshiping him at his throne to reflect the fullness of his glory. And so these Jewish people doing their Jewish thing and pushing out these other ethnicities, uh, Jesus says, nope, not in my house. My house is supposed to be a prayer for the nations, uh, these other ethnicities, people, groups to come in and worship together. Friends, jot this down. One of the signs of gospel fruit in your life is that you build relationships with people who are not like you. This whole story is about fruit, right? It's about Jesus inspecting the fig tree and there was no fruit. Well, you want to know if you're growing spiritual fruit? Are you building relationships with other people who are not like you? Other people who their skin color is not yours. Uh, their economic background is not yours. Because, listen, the gospel uh, puts everyone on an even playing field. All sinners. The, the gospel says we are all sinners in need of grace. No one's better than anyone else. No one gets to climb up on their high horse and say, hey, look at me. Look, I've got it all together. Absolutely not. The gospel says sinners in need of grace. Christians should be beggars showing other beggars where to find bread. That's all that we are. You see, the church is supposed to be a hospital for sick people, not a country club where we're all well and all put together and all dressed up nice and, oh, look at me. That's facade, and Jesus sees right through it. Yeah. 
So Jesus takes the disciples to this fig tree. There's no fruit. He curses the fig tree. He goes into the temple where there's all the green leaves, all, this, all the religious facade, but there's no fruit. They had blocked out the nations and not allowed the nations to come in and pray, and this made Jesus angry. And so he drives them out of the temple with fury, with force, and with anger. Now, like I said, we find ourselves in this particular text to where verses 12 through 14 form the top portion, and then verses 15 through 19 kind of form the middle. And so now we see the fullness of it revealed. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. Withered away to its roots. This is what happens to trees that do not bear fruit. John chapter 15 says, Any branch that does not bear fruit is pruned and cut away and thrown in the fire. The withered fig tree should push our spirits into a place of clarity and sobriety. We should read verse 20 with clarity and sobriety. It should wake us up this morning to let us know that Jesus is not fooled by our religious facade. Jesus is not fooled when we try to play little Christian games. Jesus is not tricked by our religiosity. Jesus knows real fruit when he sees it. And when there is not real fruit, the tree is withered away. Read this as a warning and read it with clarity and sobriety. This is Jesus' response to all those who are more style than substance. This is Jesus' response to those who are fancy but not, that don't have any fruit. This is Jesus' response to those who are Christians in name only. Again, I say to you, write it down a second time. Jesus does not play church, nor does he have room in his kingdom for pretend Christians. So when we say fruit, what do we mean? Let's get practical for just a moment. Write this down. We can know that spiritual uh, growth is happening when as a result of our alone times with Jesus, we are exhibiting more and more fruits of the Spirit. If you say, yes, I, I, I don't want to be a fake Christian. I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't want to be the tree with all the leaves but no real fruit. Then I would say, here's how you can know you're growing fruit. As a result of your alone times with Jesus. Let's stop right there. When Jesus is our treasure, when we value Jesus, we spend time with him. Right? Oftentimes, so... so Here's the question. Why don't you have quiet time or alone time with Jesus? Answer, I'm too busy. Right? That, that's probably 90% of the answers that, that all of you said, right? Probably 90% of you in your head. Why don't you spend time with Jesus? I don't have time. Why? I'm too busy. Yet we find time in our schedule to do a laundry list of other ridiculous things that are less important than spending time with Jesus. 
Facebook can wait. Netflix can wait. All that stuff can wait. When Jesus, so here's the reality. Why aren't you spending time with Jesus? Because Jesus isn't that important to you. That's why. That is a cold, hard reality, I know, and it, I'm preaching to myself up here, people. I, I don't get out unscathed on this one. So when I ask myself, why don't I desire to spend time with Jesus, it's because Jesus isn't that valuable to me. It's because I've lost sight of the true value of Christ. And I need to get back to his word and see his beauty and his majesty and his glory. And then to meditate on the cross, how he bled for me and died and shed his blood so that I might be with him forever in a real place called heaven. And he might embrace me as his son. I need to remember that. I need to reflect on that and re, uh, revision his beauty and his majesty so that I might desire to be with him. So when Jesus is our treasure, we will want to spend time with him. And when we spend time with him, as we draw closer and closer to him, what happens is we begin to exhibit more and more fruits of the Spirit. So how can I know there's spiritual fruit on my tree? Well, you can know because as a result of spending time with Jesus, you will exhibit more fruits of the Spirit. Fruits of the Spirit, what is that? Glad you asked. Galatians 5, 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. <clears throat> this verse isn't saying you can know that you have spiritual fruit on your tree when you are perfectly all of these things. Right? Aren't you glad it's not saying that? I am. In Jesus' name, amen. But what it means is you are growing in these things. Uh, what Jesus was looking for was not the fully ripened fig. What Jesus was looking for on the tree was the little green unripened figs. Just, just the bud, the little bud that's growing. So are you growing in love? Are you growing in joy? Are you growing in patience? Are you growing in kindness? Are you growing in goodness and faithfulness? And Are you growing in those things? If so, then Jesus is doing a work in your life, and then there's spiritual fruit on your tree. Second way. We can know their spiritual growth when we believe the Bible, seek to obey the commands of Jesus, and are devoted to the brothers. That, that is the, the book of 1 John. If you were here as we traveled through the book of 1 John, you would, you would know that essentially this is the marks of the true believer. This is the marks of those who love God. It is those who believe the Bible, believe that this is God's fully inspired, inerrant word. That those who say, uh, I believe what the Bible has to say, I submit myself under God's word. I don't pick it apart. I don't uh, promote myself over God's word in, in, in a way that I want to instruct it to say, hey, come on, Bible, get with the times. This is 2017. Uh, it is the heart that says, I place myself under God's word and submit myself to it. That's how you can know you have spiritual fruit. When you obey and believe God's word, I believe Jesus Christ is fully God, uh, fully man, that he died on the cross in my place for our sins. He was born of a virgin. I believe in the Trinitarian Godhead. I believe in substitutionary atonement. I believe in the church. I believe, right? Okay, so, so doctrine. We, we seek to obey the Bible. And we love the brothers. 
The New Testament is filled with one another's love one another, serve one another, cherish one another, be kind to one another, speak gently to one another. If, if one is, is fallen, restore him in gentleness. This is the one another's, the loving one another's of the church. Do you love the church? Are you giving yourself to the local church to serve one another, to love one another? Are you attending a community group and, and, and living life with those people? If so, then there's spiritual fruit on your tree. This is, this is how we can know. I'm out of time and we got a boogie. Let's look at this last section and then I'm out of your hair. And they passed by in the morning and I saw the fig tree was withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed was withered. And Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And whoever uh, and whatever you stand and pray, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your father also who is in heaven may forgive your trespasses. This verse is painfully clear. Now, personally, my knee-jerk reaction is to bury this verse in a thousand qualifications, but let it stand on its own for a moment. Pray in bold confidence, and you will have it. That's what the verse says. So before I put any qualifications on it, that's what the verse says. Pray in bold confidence, and it's yours. Period. At the outset, it is clear that this verse is emphasizing the one you have faith in and not the size of your faith. Look back at it, verse 22. And Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Have faith in God, not have faith in your faith. Have faith in the size and power of your faith. Oh, no, friends, don't do that. Jesus says, have faith in God. At the outset, it is clear. This verse is emphasizing, again, the one in whom you have faith, not the size of your faith. So it's silly to get from this verse that if you have a lot of faith, then you can pray and ask for and get whatever you want. Certainly, that's not what Jesus is saying. Whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Jot this down. Those who pray in the will of God, for the will of God, have access to the power of God. Those who pray in the will of God, for the will of God, will have access to the power of God. That's what this is saying. Now, as soon as you have access to great power, our human tendency is to what? Abuse that power. So, do we believe in the inerrancy of Scripture? Yes. Do we take the Bible literally? Yes. But we also take the Bible in context. So in this context, whatever you ask for doesn't actually mean whatever you ask for. Here's what I mean. If you pray for something that's sinful, is Jesus going to say yes to that? No. If you ask God for something that's bad for you, even though it might not be sinful, it might be bad for you. Dear Lord, please let me be in this relationship. But, you know, I know I'll just be fulfilled and happy and blah, blah, blah. It might not be sinful, but if it's bad for you, God still says no. 
So, so in context, we, we must understand this verse in context and also understand this, jot this down. All of God's responses to our prayers are regulated by his sovereignty, by his rule over everything everywhere. But what this means is we can freely ask and trust that God hears and will answer. Here's the big question. Why is this first little part right here, why is this end part thrown in behind what happens at the temple and all about spiritual growth? It, it, it seems an odd place, right? So there's the cursing of the fig tree, casting out of people from the temple. Peter's like, the tree! Jesus, did you see the tree? Jesus is like, yep, I saw the tree. It's withered down to the root. What's up with that? Okay, I want to talk about prayer and forgiveness. What? All this talk about spiritual growth and spiritual fruit, and Jesus says, all right, if you pray, uh, and, and you pray in faith, it's going to happen. And if you stand and pray, you need to forgive uh, people who have sinned against you. Uh, that, that's really important. Okay? Anyone else confused? I bet the disciples were Here's the reason why. People who do not believe God for his promises, people who have an unforgiving heart, may have lots of green leaves covering their tree, but they have no real fruit. That's why. It's all about spiritual fruit, isn't it? And so Jesus says, well, let's talk about spiritual fruit. You want to talk about spiritual fruit? Do you believe in the promises of God? Do you believe in the power of God to answer prayer? Because if you believe in the power of God to answer prayer, then likely you've got spiritual fruit. Um, are you having an issue forgiving somebody? Well, it's probably because you don't have any spiritual fruit on your tree. Because if you don't see how much God has forgiven you, if you don't see that, that Jesus' blood has washed you clean, right? If you don't see the, the depth of sin that you have walked in, and, and you don't see that Jesus still loves you and has forgiven you, if you don't see that, you probably don't have spiritual fruit. That's what Jesus is saying. So people who pray with only what they can gain in mind, people who harbor unforgiveness and bitterness, this is one of the key signs that they are not truly believing the gospel and therefore have no figs. I'll close with this. Oh, friends, this morning Jesus approaches the tree of your heart. Jesus is approaching the tree of your heart today. Is it just covered with green leaves? Is it just a religious facade, or is there real spiritual fruit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. Is there a real sense that you are treasuring? You treasure Christ. He's your treasure. You're, you're, remember the guy? He sold everything and bought the field. He sold everything. He was, he was digging, and he found the treasure. He found the treasure. The treasure is Christ, and, and he sold everything. Why? Because none of that mattered because he got the treasure. Is Jesus your treasure? Because if Jesus is your treasure, then there's spiritual fruit in your life. As Jesus approaches the tree of your heart today, what does he see? What does he see? Is it just green leaves and no fruit? Is it just a religious facade? You, you show up to church, you might pray a prayer. Heck, you've got your Bible with your name engraved on it. All that's a religious facade. Is there true love for Christ in your heart this morning? Listen, if not, if not, beg God for it now. If that's you this morning, if you're feeling like the tree with no figs, 
I'll be in the back. I would love to talk with you and pray for you. But friends, take this as a warning. Take this as a warning because I'll say it again. Jesus does not play church and Jesus has no room in his kingdom for pretend Christians. But listen, Jesus says with open arms, come all who are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we look at this text and we are terrified. We are terrified at you because you curse trees and you drive people out of temples. And so Lord, let us view this text with reverent fear. Reverent fear. Let us be filled with reverent fear this morning. Lord, let us also see that it is you who brings the fruit. <laughs> uh, all of our striving, all of our pushing, we can only dig rows, plant seeds, and water. That's all we can do. But it is the power of your Holy Spirit that brings fruit. And so, Lord, today we ask for spiritual fruit. We ask for fruit to begin to grow in our lives. Lord, I pray that all of us would take this as a serious, serious warning about how you view hypocrisy. Lord, I beg you, remove the hypocrisy from my life. I need you to do this, Lord. Show me the areas where I am not walking in truth, where I am living and acting as a hypocrite, not believing the gospel. Would you uncover my blind eyes? And would you do the same for the people at Gospel Community Church? Most of all, Lord, make yourself known to us today. Draw near to us. Let the rest of our worship service be a service of awe of who you are. Let us know that you have come to meet with us. The God of the universe has come to meet with us this morning. And let us not take that lightly. Let us not throw it away as, uh, as mere religious tradition this morning, Lord. We don't want more religious tradition. We want you, O oh God. We want your soul. We want your blessing to be poured out upon us this morning. We love you, God. We love you. If at any point this is a religious show, would you crush it and tear it down? But Lord, hear us. Hear a heart of true love and true dedication to you this morning as we move forward in our service. I pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share the contents of this podcast, but please do not alter it in any way without permission. Please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook or iTunes. Visit gospelcc.com for more content like this. At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. Thanks again and have a blessed day.